Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Good morning, guys. Howdy. Welcome. Welcome. Come on in. Grab a seat. Come on in. Welcome back to our Spiritual Gift Summer Series. We are in week three. My name is Sam Reeder. Uh, I serve in men's ministry in a number of capacities. I'm a man challenge table leader guy. I taught week one. Here I am. Uh, so, a couple announcements before we jump in this morning. Uh, if you do the Thursday night service, uh, we're doing a cookout deal. Men's Ministry is kind of hosting that. So, underneath the portico, the covered main entrance over here at the main building, uh, starting around 5.15. Ronnie and Chris Morgan and them are going to be throwing some brats and burgers and all that on the grill. So, uh, you can come in early and hang out with them. They'll be there after service, too. So, it'd be a great way to introduce families so if maybe you've got some guys at your your table or your group there you're kind of just getting to know it'd be a great opportunity to kind of socialize and connect uh additionally beyond just today um next week is going to be our last week of the spiritual gift series then we're going to take one week off and then we're going to have another series that is called four dads only so a couple things about that uh it's going to be four weeks uh, we've got a couple guys that we know and trust and love who are going to come in uh, and be teaching for four weeks in a row. It'll also be in here. Uh, and you can see the info there. A couple things about that. So if you are a new young dad, this would be a great opportunity, like myself, to come and learn, uh, glean some wisdom from some guys who are a number of steps ahead of us and, and have this whole parenting deal. Um, also, if you are maybe an empty nester and you don't have kids, in the house, and you think, well, this isn't useful for me. Unfortunately, I'll have to burst your bubble. Uh, the Apostle Paul referred to Timothy as his beloved son. So probably at this phase in life, you have some spiritual sons that you're born into. I would say you can probably glean some wisdom there. Uh, if you don't have kids yet, and you hope one day to, uh, this would also be a great time to go ahead and hop in and, and start preparing yourself and taking notes. So, even if you're not a dad or don't feel like that that fits your frame of mind currently, I would encourage you uh, to consider it and to come out. So, that'll be not next week, not the week after that, but the week after that. Uh, so, that'll be four weeks long, and then we'll have a break after that, and then soon after, the fall uh, groups will kick off. So, this is the first time we've had programming in the summer, and thanks to you guys who've leaned in. Uh, you've encouraged us, and it's exciting. So, shifting gears to presently, we are this week going to be in our third week of the Spiritual Gifts series. Hopefully, last week you did your homework. Uh, if you have one of these booklets, if you don't, there's a whole table of them out there. But our homework was to go to this website and do a Spiritual Gifts test. Uh, and hopefully you did it. If so, at your table time, sort of after the teaching today, I'd encourage you to just kind of share that with the guys at your table. Um, likely it was more affirming than it was eye-opening. Uh, but if you didn't do it, here's the good news. The website is still up and operating. 
so you could do it today. You could do it this week. I would encourage you, be honest and tell the guys, hey, it was a busy week. I didn't get around to it. I forgot. I didn't read the homework. I'm out of school. I don't like doing homework. Whatever the reason is, uh, I can relate to really all of those. Uh, but I would encourage you to do that, and the reason we picked this one, amongst other reasons, uh, is that there's an option to put in a friend or a mentor's email and have the results go to them also. Not only for accountability, but to then facilitate conversation and say, do you see these things in me that this test supposedly sees? Uh, so just want to make you guys aware of that as we continue to grow in these things. Uh, last thing, a um, couple books. So if I have any readers in the room, uh, in preparing and building this curriculum, here's a couple books that if you were to flip to the back of uh, the booklet, there is a page that has additional resources. Uh, so here's one of them. It's called Spiritual Gifts. It's written by Tom Schreiner. He's a professor here at Southern Seminary here in town. Uh, it's his book on spiritual gifts. The name is pretty telling. Uh, it's honestly a very approachable book. It's a, it's a quick read. It's not super heady and complex. But he kind of holds the position that a number of the things we've talked about were more for Bible times and not applicable today. That's kind of one position often referred to as a cessationist. But that's kind of his view and his outline. Then the other side of that spectrum would be the position that all of the gifts and everything we've talked about are still functioning today. That would be called a continuationist. Uh, to use a technical term, this is a book, uh, Understanding Spiritual Gifts, a Comprehensive Guide. This is by a guy named Sam Storms. Uh, he is a teacher, professor, uh, pastor, uh, theologian in Oklahoma, so I guess he likes tornadoes. Uh, his book is extremely thorough, and he basically turns every stone over and looks at it and asks every question. So if you want a really thorough, dense read, I'd say the second one. If you want something just kind of to whet your appetite, I'd say the first one. Either way, the point is, in four weeks, we can't hope to cover all of what this, this topic uh, spans. But I want to continue to equip you guys to have good resources to, to grow and learn on this topic. So, with all of that said, I want to bring out our teacher this week is Chris Morgan. You guys will Never know what song's gonna come on, do you? Uh, so good morning. Morning. Uh, Chris, I just want you know you're somewhat new on staff here. You're not new to the area or the church, but I want the guys to maybe learn a little bit more about you. So when when did you officially come on staff here at Southeast? Uh, January. So I guess it's been um, almost five five months, I guess. Okay. Yeah. All right, five months, and then you also have another job, right? That you've been yeah. for a little bit of time. What is that? Um, I am the campus director for Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the University of Louisville. I've been doing that for um, 24 years. So 24 years there. And then when I um, talked with Ronnie about helping create a discipleship making culture, I want to be part of that. That's cool. And then, believe it or not, I, I've, I've heard this is actually your church home and has been for some time. How long has Southeast been, been your home? 34 years I've been, I've been here in Southeast, so uh, I remember when we were at the Hikes, Hikes Point uh, Concrete Building, is what we call it, Concrete Building, and then um, we moved over to the, uh, I think it's Canaan Baptist, it kind of does it now, and we moved out here, so 34 years. That's cool. So for some of you guys, this is a new face around here for just five months, but if you're around the community, 
you've seen a Louisville football game any time in the past number of years. Uh, when it cuts to the sidelines, you usually see this face running over, grabbing somebody on the shoulder. Uh, so this is a guy that may be a new face to some of us, but he has been a part of this community, discipling men for two plus decades, and has really been a part of this church for, uh, you said 34 years? So longer than I've been alive, so that's pretty cool. Wow. How about that? You had to go there. Congratulations. You had to go there. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited this guy is on staff with us. I've gotten to know him the past couple months personally, and I can attest uh, this is a man of integrity. It's a man who loves his wife and his girls uh, and who is fully committed to making disciples, to preaching the Word of God, uh, to making Jesus known. So I'm thrilled we have the opportunity to learn from him. Let me pray for him, and we'll, we'll jump in this week. Father God, thank you for Chris. Uh, thank you for the gift of your word that you have made yourself known to us through it. As he opens it and we open it with him, I pray that you would uh, do something cool this morning. Open our eyes and our ears to your goodness. Uh, help us to be humble and to be teachable, uh, to learn from this brother as you speak through him. Uh, and I pray that the, the body of Christ would be encouraged, edified, stabilized, and united as a result. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. You know, I, I don't know how I got picked to follow two of the, uh, the most um, educated and smart guys probably in our church in Ben Cross and Sam Reader. But it's going, to be, it's going to be a joy to be with you guys today. Johnny was in the fourth grade. The assignment was to pull out your construction paper and draw any picture you want. Johnny grabs that construction paper. He starts to draw. Teacher's making her way around the fourth grade class, and she's looking at people's pictures. She comes up to Johnny and says, Johnny, what are you drawing? Johnny looks at his teacher and says, I'm drawing a picture of God. Teacher politely looks down and says, Johnny, nobody knows what God looks like. Fourth grader looks up, his teacher says, oh, they will when I get done with this picture. <laughs> you know, as, as, I, as I try, I have been tasked with the responsibility of opening up God's word and, and talking or teaching on a subject um, that not a lot of people hit on. Man, I, I have loved that we have spent three, next week will be four weeks talking about spiritual gifts. We've looked, Sam talked about who gives us those gifts, okay? And, and he did a great job of breaking that down, down. Ben Cross talked about what are the gifts. And man, he did a phenomenal job of telling us what those gifts are. Now, my task is to talk about what are the risks uh, and the roles of these gifts. When this is written, uh, the, the church in Corinth had gifts. Okay, there was a lot of gifts that was given or were given, but they were viewing it wrong and they were doing it wrong. And most of us, if not all of us, can contest that if you are doing something wrong and you're viewing it something wrong, consistently, if you do that, what is going to come in is going to be arrogance and it's going to be pride. That is what is going to come in. The whole book of First Corinthians is a rebuke to this church. That there's gifts, but they are doing it wrong. In this book, this letter uh, to the church of Corinth, Paul's going to address some, some major issues, some problems that are going on. Uh, and, and basically what it is, is, it's chaotic worship. That instead of coming together and being reverent and, and lifting up scripture, this has almost turned into like a, uh, a really a, a pay-per-view event. It, it has been complete pandemonium. 
okay? Paul says that there were people that were interrupting each other, that there were people demanding to preach, demanding, standing up, that that they had a word to share, that there were people that were speaking in all kinds of tongues all at the same time. And Paul says, hey, guys, you are freaking out our target audience. You are freaking out the people that we want to reach. And they're coming under the umbrella of spiritual gifts. So what this chapter is going to contain is it's going to contain the responsibility that comes along with those gifts, that there's order. Yes, there are gifts that we're about to dive into here shortly. But when there is, there is order to it. They were focusing on the gift more than the gift giver. And that could happen to any one of us. Ben talked about last week that if, if anything other than making Jesus known, it's not of him. Anything that's, that's different than making Jesus known, it's not of him. Spiritual gifts are not about me. And it's not about you. We can't use them at our, at our beck and call. Unless the spirit is involved and the spirit invokes this, it's not of God. It's of our flesh. And if we do that, eventually what God will do is he'll shut us off, turn the water off. I was, um, I gave my life to Christ my senior year in college. And um, I'll talk a little bit about that here in just a second. My personal involvement with some of these things. But, but I remember leaving um, college and I did this discipleship program. Um, it's kind of like seminary. Really, you get seminary credit hours for it. So I left there and I came on staff with FCA. And I, I thought I was going to be... Um, Arrogantly speaking, next Billy Graham, okay? That's what I thought, man. I was this guy getting filled with all kinds of, like, knowledge. And then I remember leaving, and I went to this small country church outside of Campbellsville, Kentucky. Some of you, I don't even know where Campbellsville is at. Okay, but I, I remember it being this, this guy that was stood up with all kinds of knowledge, right? And I went to this small country church, and um, I was just going to share my gift. And so I remember... Um, Walking in that small country church with about 125 people standing up behind that, that pulpit. I can't even believe, really believe my own Bible. Okay. And I, I, I laid my Bible down, and I remember it was almost like God unplugged me. It was almost like, all right, big boy, you got this? Let's see what you can do. And I had about, and I had, I, they allowed me about 30 minutes to speak. Um, I went about eight. My, my illustrations really weren't making sense. Um, and I remember walking down that stage. That I was going to use a gift. That God wasn't even part of. Revelation three, the church of Laodicea talks about this. We misrepresent the verse because the verse says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And a lot of times what we do is we, God's knocking on the door of your heart. Contextually, that's not what that's about. That this church of Laodicea wanted to have church. And God is really knocking on the door and saying, hey, if y'all going to have church, why don't you let me come in and be with you? It can happen to any of us. Churches nowadays are all over the map on this issue right here. I wrote down just a couple of things. There are some that have taken the Bible that um, what the Bible teaches about these things and they've gone way beyond it. 
way beyond it. That's filled with mostly um, emotion, um, theatrical um, things. And it can be very harmful to the body. People went that far on the other side. However, there are those that in reaction to that have gone so far beyond what the Bible says by denying the presence altogether. This can hinder the body as well. So there can be an error. There can be an error of embracing more than what the Bible says. But there can also be an error in not embracing as much as the Bible does say. There's error both ways. God speaks very loudly on this. Very loudly on any issue. If we have issues with money, guess what? He speaks of it. Issues with, with marriage, he speaks on it. Issues with identity and who we are, he speaks on it. God is not, not up in heaven looking down and saying, you know what, I wish I'd have been a little bit more clear on 1 Corinthians 14. He's not doing that. He's not saying, oh, oh, they're confused. Let me try to fix this. No. There's a lack of hard clarity when it comes to this issue, guys. It really is. And I think it's a little bit un- in- intentional. That it's okay that we struggle with this, this topic. I do want us to, to understand that God wants to move in an incredible way. He has gifted us in incredible areas that we'll talk about here just in a second. But he also has given us clear parameters. He's given us specific instructions. I love what one theologian puts it, and I'm going to put it on here, and then we're going to dive in our text. I'm going to hide behind it. But there's, there's four positions on spiritual gifts that this theologian talks about. And the first one is... Um, Sensationist. A sensationist um, is, is this. Okay, I know that's a big word, but here's what a sensationist believes. Sensationist position is that, that prophecy, tongues, and healings is ceased. It's done. It's done away with. Okay? There are people that have that position. That it's all done away with. It's not needed any longer. The second position is the Pentecostal position. The Pentecostal position is this, that the gifts are in full operation, full operation, and it's normative for every Christian, every Christian. And if you're not using those gifts, then something is wrong with you, that you really are not filled with the Holy Spirit, that you have to fix this or to take it a step further, you have to fake it. You have to do something, okay, or you're not filled with the Spirit. So there's a sensationist, the second one is a Pentecostal, the third is the the charismatic view. The charismatic view is this, that which all these gifts are still in existence. And part of the normal ministry, the operations of the church, but not everyone has to have them. Yes, they're there. Yes, we can use them, but it's not for everyone. And then there's a fourth group that this theologian talks about. And the fourth group doesn't have a name but believes that the gifts have not ceased. But most of the ways the gifts are used today is not really biblical or helpful at all. Those four views, I don't know where you land on those, okay? But a little bit of my story is this, as Sam mentioned earlier about, um, I grew up in this church for 34 years. I went to college and I went to college and, and I truly gave my life to Christ my senior year in college. It was an incredible transformation. I'd always heard the story of Jesus. I, I knew all the little biblical stories, okay? But when I went to college, 
Jesus became Lord of my life. I started dating a girl, started dating a girl, and her dad was a Pentecostal um, preacher. Okay, that's a drastic change. Raised, raised in Southeast, give your life to Christ. You start dating a girl shortly after that. And I start going to her father's church, her church, which is a Pentecostal church. I was there for two years. It was very, very vibrant. It was very, very passionate. It was very, very zealous for the things of God. But I had seen things go on in that church that I had never seen before. And I had a lot of questions on that. Major problems. But I remember someone saying to me that I had a lot of respect for that wasn't part of the church. That said that, now, they were great people. This is not a, a character issue. It's just more theological and how things lined up. But I remember this person saying, Chris, he said, um, I'm not questioning their experience. I'm questioning the interpretation of their experience. That stuck with me. When I left there, um, I was there with her for two years during our relationship. I went to Texas and I was discipled by a guy that taught me what scripture in my mind, what scripture says. But I want us to be open to what the spirit is doing. However, but I also don't want to be in the way of what the spirit is doing as well. I used to have a football coach that said this. He said, um, he said, Chris, um, you know why God gave dogs fleas? Noah, because he wants to remind them that they're dogs. And Chris, you know why God gives us problems or issues? Oh, why? Because he wants us to realize that we're not God. There are a lot of things that we have to go to him. That we have to look at scripture. That this Bible that I'm about to crack open. B-I-B-L-E. Basic information before leaving earth. Yes, so as we search these scriptures. Know that there are many gifts. But there's parameters to that. There's order to that. And as we operate in that order, God does something fantastic. With that in mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let me chew this up just a little bit and we'll have some fun. 1 Corinthians chapter um, 14, look at verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That first verse right there, it says to pursue that word pursue means to set in motion. It means um, to ride, to march, to row, to hasten, to basically go after. Paul is wanting us to say, I want you to pursue. Football term all the time is you pursue the man with the football. That every defensive guy, all 11 of them, when the ball is snapped, they are in pursuit up the guy with the football. Paul says to pursue. Pursue what, man? Pursue love. Pursue the church. Pursue people. There's something truly about love. You know, this, this chapter is preceded um, by a, a, a chapter that we've all heard many, many times at weddings, okay? Um, first Corinthians um, 13, the word love is mentioned. Um, it's mentioned eight times in 13 verses. Paul wants the reader to get the point. First Corinthians 13 about love. 
But we use this word love so much, don't we? I love Chick-fil-A, or I love UK, or I love UofL, or I love Indiana, or I love Purdue. We have all these different things about love. I remember taking my wife, at the time was my girlfriend Tammy, to my parents to show her, to show her off. And I walked in with Tammy and, um, and introduced her to my family, and we stayed for a while. It was a great time. And I walked Tammy to her car, and she leaves. And I walk back in, and I say, Pop, I am going to marry that girl. And he said, why? I said, because I love her. He said, son, you've loved every girl you've ever brought home. <laughs> And, and when he said that, I start to think, you know, how many times do we just kind of float that word love around? It's used a whole lot. This, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love, it's tucked in between 12 and 14 for a reason. Because that love, that love chapter is actually in context how we are to treat other Christians in the context of the local church. That we are supposed to love them, that it is selfless, that it is sacrificial, and it gives us a perfect picture of what Christ does and did for us. That he loves us unconditionally. Pursue love. He says something else in there, though. He says, earnestly, earnestly desire that means that you want to find out. You are looking for, you're searching for, you pray for. Almost the sense that you're lusting after. That you're looking at it with all of your being. Paul says earnestly desire. What? The gifts. That it's not in competition. But you earnestly desire to want to find out what your gift is. Why? Context. Because I love the church. I love this church. 34 years, I love it. I love it. I, I love being able to be part of this body. I love serving it. But I'll tell you what else I love doing. I love watching other people serve it. It's a fantastic... You, I hate mentioning names, but I'm, I'm going to mention just a couple. Glenn Harder, Dave Scott, Larry Seacrest, Greg Wise, Barry Suggs, J.R. Slaughter... Brent Williford. These are just a couple. I could name all kinds of guys. But these are guys are serving in the gifted area that they are blessed with. And the church benefits because of that. Some of us may be sitting on our gifts. Some of us may be not using our gifts that God has blessed us with. As Sam said, we had a, a homework assignment. I'm not going to raise, make you raise your hand. Okay? But if we're earnestly seeking after we want to take that. We want to find out what that is. I reached out to Lucas DeVries, who's on staff. He kind of, I guess, the right word. I'm, I'm new at this, so I can mess up my words a little bit. I don't know if he's a campus pastor. He's the, he's the director of Lincoln Baker Campus. And I asked him, how many volunteers does it take to pull off a weekend service? How many volunteers do you need, do we need, for this thing to function on a Sunday morning? Here's what he said. We need 1,275 every single weekend. 1,275 every weekend. Chris, that doesn't include the group leaders and any volunteers during the week. That's the number we need, but we need more. Why? Because our church is growing. 
That's why this is important. Paul says, I want you to pursue love and I want you to earnestly desire the gifts. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say, especially prophecy. Now, now we're going to get into some words. It's going to be a little tricky here. Okay. Especially prophecy that you may prophesy. Ben spoke a little bit about this last week. Okay. The act of revealing something that is hidden, but it's disclosing the word of God. It's disclosing the word of God that must bear witness with your spirit that God has been revealing those things to you. And that when you hear it, there's no mistake that it is of God. If somebody comes and gives you a word, you'll know the difference if it's from God's word or if it's the chili that they ate last night. You'll know the difference. I'll give you an example. My, um, we have three daughters. At the time that this took place, my oldest daughter was seven. That meant my, my middle daughter now, the youngest at the time, was um, six. My middle daughter was diagnosed with autism at the age of four. There's a lot of struggle going on with that, with a diagnosis of autism. Struggled hard on that. Um, I had a couple people, very, very great friends. I love them with all of my heart. They said, hey, why don't you have your daughter prayed over? Told you I'm raised in the church. I went to this Pentecostal church for a while. I saw some things going on. I was a little skeptical. I didn't know know what, what to do with that, honestly. I didn't know how to unpackage that. But I went. Anybody's going to pray over my daughter? I want to pray over So we went, the four of us, Tammy, myself, my seven-year-old, and my six-year-old, written with autism. And I remember um, before we went that morning, my, my daughters are fantastic artists. God has given them an incredible thing. And they were drawn and color. And even at seven and six, you know they had some kind of gift. But before we left, they, they bring these little pictures in here that they had been coloring and um, I noticed that both of them, they're, 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 they were all over the place. Just a little different, okay? And probably wasn't one of my parents, best parenting. Like, hey, is that okay? All over the place with this kind of like coaching aspect. All over the place with your coloring, okay? But anyway, we go and, and we walk into this place and sit down with great people. But I remember the lady coming up and, and she said, hey, um, I'm going to love to pray over your daughter, but before... I pray for her. I feel like I have a word for you. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I'd love to hear it. She said, I just feel like the Lord is wanting me to tell you that it's okay to come around the side of the And then she gave me a scripture just as far as not to exasperate your children. I'm thinking there's cameras in my home. Everybody left. That, that was a word for me. Um, yes, to pray over my daughter. My daughter still has autism. Could God heal her? Absolutely. Does he have to? No. He's God. I've got in my ears what's called hearing aids, okay? That's just it. Can God heal me from that? Absolutely. Does he have to? No. I would be that guy to carry around these hearing aids in a bottle and I'd say, man, look what he did to me, look what he did to me. I, I would love that. But he's still God. Whether I wear these or not, one day I will be healed. It may not be on this side of heaven. And I'm okay with that. Prophecy is a word. 
That lady spoke life into me. She challenged me and she edified and lifted up God through what she told me. Prophecy. God taught me something with that. Verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Ben talked a little bit last week about tongues. We could spend five months talking about um, tongues. In Acts 2, um, Pentecost comes. You get all of the Jews come from all over um, to celebrate. And you have every Jew there. Everybody wanted to come to, to basically have a party. They were celebrating what God had done through those chosen people. And they were celebrating it. So if you really wanted to do something incredible and you really wanted a miracle to happen, that would be the place for it to happen. And in Acts 2, there is a miracle that happens. These people start to speak in different languages, tongues, and everyone's understanding it. Without going into a whole lot of detail, basically what is happening, a couple of things is happening. The focus is the gospel. That it's a, a sign that now the gospel is going from the Jew to the Gentile, which is us. That now you and I can play in this game. Yes, God's chosen people, the Jew. However, in this, we can be part of that promise. That the gospel is being proclaimed to everyone in a different language. It's a learned language. There's interpretation. But it's not forbidden when there's order to it. It's not forbidden when there's order to it. Let's look at verse 3. On the other hand, on the other hand, contextually it says, okay, tongues. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. That word building up, it's the word okodomain. Okodomain in Greek, it means to be built up. How are we doing this? How can it be possible if this is just a consumer-based place? We can't do that. It can't be just all about us. It has to be building up other people. It has to be building up our community. It has to be building up the church. A lot of times what we do with messages in church is we approach church from a 100% consumer basis. That we pull up to the drive through at church and say, yes, I'd like two off-meat patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Quickly. That's, that's sometimes how we approach church. That I brought a little, like a, an illustration to be used. You have water in this bucket and you have two sponges. Now, obviously, if I just take this one sponge and I put it over here, you'll be saying, hey, it's not used properly. It's not used properly. But now, another way that it's not being used properly is taking this sponge, dipping it in the water, and leaving it like this. Both of these sponges are sponges. Both of these sponges are not being used in the proper way. The sponge is not being used until it is dipped in 
and then it gets squeezed out. If you have a sponge that is constantly getting in and never getting out, it's not being used properly. What we are called, what we are called to do is to be filled up with God's presence. I love Kyle. He's a dear friend, and now he's, I guess he's my boss. Okay? But it's not, it's not Kyle out of his job to have my quiet time. It's just not. I'm filled up by God's presence. And then what I'm called to do is I'm called to be poured out. I love some of you guys because you've been given gifts. I love working with FCA and I love working with Southeast. I love it. I'm glad I'm able to do that in this season. However, there may come a coming point in time in my life where I can't do FCA in church and I go cut grass or I'll paint. But I promise you, whatever my occupation will be, I want to make disciples. I want to use the gifts that God has given me. That's what we are called to do. Paul wants these, these, this church in Corinth to realize that the gifts that they have are not to elevate themselves in any way, shape, form, or fashion, which seems to be what the church is doing. Instead, our gifts are to strengthen the church, to make it better, to make it sturdier. That anything that tears down the church causes division. Anything that causes division is not of God. You don't have to... You don't have to be a smart person to realize what's going on in our world today. That if I was the enemy, what I would want to do is I'd want to divide. And man, it's doing that. I got a short little clip that I want to share with you. There's a lot of things that you can pick up in this video clip right here. If I was the devil, if I was the devil, I'll tell you what I'd do. I would try to deceive you and get you into error. I would get you off base. And if you still stayed true, I would try to disqualify you. I would get you immoral. I would get you where no one would believe what came out of your mouth. I would make you a tabloid where nobody believed you. I would remove your confidence where you were afraid to speak because your life was such a shambles. I would get you into sin. I would prowl like a roaring lion to devour you morally. And if I couldn't do that, I would try to make you successful. And I would distract you if I couldn't disqualify you. I would get you busy. I would get you so distracted and disattracted from the gospel that no longer would your prayers be about holiness and souls. They would only be about the bottom line in your business. I would get you materialistic and no longer concerned about the spiritual nature of life. If I couldn't do that, I would divide you. 
If I couldn't divide you, I've almost lost you. You know what I'd do then? I would discourage you. And then if I couldn't discourage you, I'd try to death. I would I would try my best. That's what I would do to take you out. Those things are happening. There's so many of them that maybe stuck out, stuck out in your mind. The vision stuck out to me when I watched it. The enemy's doing a really good job of dividing some people, especially within the church. Paul's like, when you come together, these are gifts. Let these bring you together. Don't let them tear you apart. I'm blessing you with these. Don't, don't make it about you. Look at verse 4 and 5 of 14. Here's what it says. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you, I want you all, all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Some were, were, were claiming, here's where this is talking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, you had people coming up and saying, man, I, have, I speak in the, in the voice of angels. Man, how are you going to touch that? That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty hard to top. You ever been around guys that tell a story and they want to up it one? That's, that's kind of what was, was happening here. Paul's like, look, so just so you guys don't get this misunderstood, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And, and that's not when I'm writing three-fourths of the New Testament or I'm going to a place that you've never, ever seen. So even when I speak an angel, um, I've got you beat, Paul's basically saying. However, he says, I would rather speak five intelligent words, intelligent words, than 10,000 tongues. 10,000 in the Greek is infinity. Paul's saying, I would rather speak five intelligent words than tell of all kinds of tongues. In other words, Paul is saying, look how I'm using my gifts. It's not to bring attention to me. It's to serve. No matter what gifts we have, guys, it should always be about building up the church. How can we make the bride? That's what Christ did. How can we make the bride sit up on a hill and let the light shine? Because it's all about that. A football illustration would be this. He's a great athlete. I've met him a couple of times. Terrell Owens, he's a great, he's a great athlete. But one of his favorite lines is this. I love me some me. I mean, he would walk around and, I love me some me. Now, you don't want to play on a team like that. And it's hard for us to go to churches like that too. From verse 6 to 17, basically what is, we don't have the time for it, but it's going to substantiate everything that I just spoke about. Let's look at verse 20 as we get ready to close it out. He says, brothers, don't be like children in your thinking. Don't be like children in your thinking. Another word for that is be grow up. Grow up in your thinking. Babies are all about themselves. I don't know how many of y'all have kids. But the first word that a baby learns is what? Mine. No, probably. Mine, mine. Probably another not one of my great parenting moments before we close is um, eating a Chick-fil-A. And I got my sandwich. My daughter's fries were looking really, really good. Okay. And I reached over and I grabbed one of the fries and my daughter made the mistake of saying this to me. Hey, those are my fries. No, I bought the whole shoot match. 
It's all mine. And I think without, without even thinking about it, sometimes we can approach a holy God the same way. And we can look at the body and say, it's my gift. God said, no. These are the marching orders as we go out. Here's what Paul's going to If he were a head coach looking at his locker room like Coach Payne or Coach Satterfield or whoever team you like, they're in the locker room, they're getting ready to go out. Here's what he's going to say. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at the most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let him or them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh in what is said. If a revelation is made to others sitting there, let the first be silent. For all, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Here it is. For God is not a God of confusion. There's three quick closing points. Then we're going to close it out and get a little time. Just a little bit of time. I, I may have taken too much of mine. Departing points would be this. Don't question the legitimacy of someone's personal experience as long as it doesn't violate Scripture. Don't question the legitimacy of someone's personal experience as long as it doesn't violate Scripture. We need the Spirit. True worship is this, guys. It occurs when the people of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God all come together. People of God, Word of God, and Spirit of God. Too often we settle for two out of three. We're cool with the people of God. And we're cool with the word of God. But if we get a little bit of the spirit of God, that's a little kooky for me. No. I don't want to put God in a box. But I know he's called for order. And that's what we want. The second point is this. We should come to church with something to give. All of us have something to give. My ch- the church needs you. Let me not get this twisted. The church needs you, but God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But the church does. We've all been given a gift, and whatever that is, I pray that you would find it because we need you. We should come to church with something to give. Here's the third thing. Gifts are distributed horizontally and not vertically. Horizontally is this way. That the gifts are distributed this way and they lean on each other. The gifts are never distributed vertically. Because if they were, you would say, man, he's closer to God than I am. No, they're distributed horizontally and they lean on each other. And therefore, we are the body of Christ. You could not get any closer to God than you already are in Christ. I'm going to say that again. You can get no closer to God than you are in Christ. So let your gift not think that you're elevating and getting closer to God. And lastly, don't interrupt the worship service to distract those around you. That's out of order. There's order to it. Where if a non-believer comes in, 
he will look and he will listen and he will hear intelligent words. And more importantly, he will hear the gospel, that the gospel changes lives. I'm going to pray for us. Give us about 10, 15 minutes at our table. Let me pray and then Andy will put the questions up. Lord, I I thank you uh, for your love and your grace. God, I thank you for dying on the cross for a sinner like me. God, I'm thankful for this text. God, that we can look at it, that we can, um, we don't have to wonder what you say. We can look at what you have already said. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we will do that. I pray for these questions, the short conversations that they had at the table. Lord, I pray that it is um, it's pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.